Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. So as Nikki mentioned, we're launching into a new sermon series today called Greater Things. But just before we kind of launch into what this talk is about, I want to ask you a question. Do you ever feel like your life is just on repeat? Do you ever feel like you're kind of stuck in the grind of our lives just going from day to day to week to week? You know, sometimes it just feels like it's just, you know, getting through each week and like, hey, did we keep the kids alive today? Yep, that's a win. And we're just in this survival mode. And it's easy to live this way in a 24-hour cycle that just keeps going over and over and over again. But I want to present an idea to us. See, we're starting this new series, and I want to invite you into something in this, because when we actually live with a greater point of view, when we live with a greater picture, when we have a, a vision and a desire of where we want to go, it right away changes that daily grind, that our lives isn't just about getting through each week uh, and getting through and surviving, but how do we have a greater picture of where we're trying to go, of what we're trying to drive towards. Because when we have a greater picture, it actually gives meaning to the mundane. It gives meaning to our regular lives. It gives meaning to the daily things we go through. When we actually have a direction, when we have a future, when we have a picture of what we're trying to live towards. And so that's what we're doing in this series. We're talking about what is the greater picture? What are these greater things that God has for us, for this world, for our church? What are the greater things that God has for you that will give us this picture that lets us push towards the future? What gives meaning so that we're not just living our lives week to week and day to day? So how do we have this greater picture? How do we dig into this? And so the first part of this series that we're starting today on Greater Things, we're going to talk about something that that probably most of us think we already know, something that we actually probably have a fairly good picture about. But I want to take us a little deeper into us. I want to invite you to go a little deeper on this topic with me than maybe you have before. See, this topic, what we're going to talk about, is actually something that separates Christianity from everything else. It's what separates us when we put our trust in Jesus and makes it different than any other way we could live our lives. And so I want to invite you into this. And so this topic, what we're digging into, this greater thing, is a simple concept. God has a greater love for us than what we will ever understand. And we know, you know, maybe you sang it as a, as a kid, if you went to a kid's church, you know, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. You know we, know, we know that God loves us. But I want to invite you, let's really dig into what does it mean that God loves us? Why is this different? Why does this matter? See, when we get a glimpse of this love, when we get a glimpse of how deeply God loves and cares for us, it actually changes the way we live. It changes the way we live day to day and week to week because it draws us towards something deeper. So how do we know that God has this greater love for us? How do we know that he wants to be in, have this deeper love and wants us to know? And it comes down to, we're going to talk first about two aspects of God's character, two things about who God is and why it reveals God's love for us. And so these first two aspects we're going to talk about is that God is personal and God is relational. Now, when I say personal, I want to clarify that a little bit. I don't mean that individualistic. I don't mean that each one of us can have a personal understanding of who God is that's different from everyone else. But God is personal. And what I mean by that is that God is knowable. 
God is personable. He has an identity. He has, uh, uh, he reveals who he is for a reason. And that reason is to be relational. God in his very core. And this is one of these kind of like mystery things that we have to wrap our heads around in our faith as we say that, you know, God is three in one, that, that God, there's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And we call it the Trinity. And we say, well, wait a second, that's not three gods, that's one. But the inherent nature of the Trinity, and this is, you know, maybe this is a little academic, I hope you'll go there with me for a moment, but the inherent nature of the Trinity is that God is in relationship with himself. That God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit are in deep connection and relational connection with one another. And it's the overflowing of that that makes God want to be relational with us. God wants to have a relationship with you. And it's a personal, it's a relational. And see, this is what is so fundamentally different about Christianity. This is what's so different about following God. Because all other worldviews and religions lack this personal and relational understanding of God. And let's, let's run through them for a moment. See, if you, maybe you, you're here and you're saying, you know, but I, I kind of hold to an atheist point of view. I think there is no God. This is just all natural order. This is all just chance. This just happened. Well, there is no relationship. There is actually no merit to a relationship with anything unless it's for selfish personal gain under an atheistic worldview. And an agnostic worldview of saying, I don't know if there's a God or not, is actually just functional atheism with a little bit of sugarcoating to say, well, I don't really know. But if you say, you know, I hold to an agnostic point of view, you're actually really more living in an atheist worldview than not, because you tend to lean towards that side of saying, well, this is just natural, or this is just created, and the only reason for relationships is if it benefits me. That's actually a self-centered point of view. But what about other religions? Let's talk about like Buddhism and Hinduism for a moment. Now, both of them have a shared ancestry, and they kind of split and went different tracks. And, and I'm going to kind of simplify down to the core of it. But both Buddhism and Hinduism rev- kind of have this perspective that our whole lives are just a struggle to overcome reincarnation, our struggle to overcome what is physical, what is material, and reach a higher plane of enlightenment. And in fact, out of the two, Buddhism is completely non-theistic. There is no deity. There is no being to be in a relationship with. It's just everything around you is a lie. Everything around you is false, and you need to overcome it. And then Hinduism adds on a polytheistic, which means many, many gods. There are hundreds, some, uh, some counts even go into the thousands of Hindu deities. But there is no relationship between people and any Hindu deity. In fact, we as people, under a Hinduistic perspective, we are just playthings and toys meant to serve them. There is no relationship. And then, you know, what about Islam? Islam's concept of God is not relational at all. In fact, Islam's concept of God, they call Allah, is a Allah is to be served at all costs. It doesn't matter if it's good or bad for you. You just have to obey. There is no relationship in an Islamic framework. See, every one of these worldviews has a negative or a non-existent perspective of God being in a relationship with humanity. At best, humanity is just the slaves or the toys or the playthings of a deity. And at worst, well, at worst, we're just adrift. We're just meaningless. We have no connection point. And this is what makes 
God different. Because God is personal and God is relational. In fact, we go through every single story in Scripture, every single encounter of God and humanity is about a relationship. We go right to the very beginning, Adam and Eve. God's practice was to walk with them on a daily basis, to be in a relationship, to converse, to talk with them. Abraham, God continually met with him and led him. Each of the patriarchs through all of the Old Testament, God sent messengers, God walked with them, he guided, he instructed, and every act was an act of love. Even if we go through the Old Testament and we say, well, you know, God took this group of people, this tribal identity out of Abraham, and he led them through the, the narrative and through the journey and the story of the Old Testament, every single thing that God ever did was relational and driven by love. And he gave them the law. He gave them this boundary of frameworks of saying, this is what you can do. If you live within this, you will be my people. And that framework is what continues to be modern Judaism even today. But even Judaism misses something. Because God's whole plan, right from the very beginning, of revealing himself in a relational and personal and loving way, God had this plan that at this moment, when the time was right, that Jesus would step into the world. That God himself would put on humanity, would step into the world for the purpose of revealing this greater love. Jesus came into the world to make the Father's greater love available to everyone. It was no longer about if you were just part of this tribal identity. It was for everyone. See, this is what separates following Jesus. This is what separates putting your trust in Jesus away from everything else. So how do we know this? You might be thinking, okay, you know, that's, that's a lot of things you've run through. How do we actually know that that's why Jesus came? How do we know that for a fact? And so let's go there. Let's figure it out. Because during Jesus' ministry, he had 12 disciples that were the closest to him. He had larger groups of people that followed him that, that listened to his teachings and were there to learn and, and to be kind of shaped by who Jesus is. And then there was the, the 12 that were closest to him. And out of the 12, Jesus kind of played favorites. You know, there's these times through the New Testament, through the four gospel accounts, where Jesus takes three of them kind of off special, and he, he pours some extra attention, and he talks with them. And so we're going to talk about one of those guys, because those three were Peter, James, and John. And James and John were brothers. And out of these three, these were the three that spent the most time with Jesus and went on to do remarkable things after Jesus' death and resurrection. They were some of the the initial cornerstones of the church growing. And one of these guys, John, he's kind of unique amongst the disciples where he was actually the only one who eventually died of natural causes. Every other one of Jesus' disciples lost their lives. They were martyred because they would not stop telling people about Jesus' radical love and that this path to the Father was open. And so John, who spent three years, he was one of the earliest disciples, he spent three years living with Jesus. And then after Jesus' death and resurrection, John spends his life equipping and building up churches and coaching and encouraging people to understand God's love. And then he started to write later on in his life. You know, he wrote the Gospel of John that we have. It's the fourth of the, of the Gospels in your New Testament. And then he also wrote three letters, and he wrote these near the end of his life. And so John at this point is probably late 70s, early 80s. It's about 60-some years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And John is writing to the church, and he's trying to encompass everything 
Because he knows he's going to die. He knows that he's not going to live forever. And so how, what, is, what he says is so important to say to the church, this is what you need to carry on and go forward. And John takes it all to one thing, to love. This is what he says in, in his letter, 1 John 3. He says, see how very much our Father loves us. For he calls us his children, and that is what we are. Now, John says the same thing over and over and over again in his letters because he just wants to drive this in to say, we are loved by God, we are his children. And in fact, the early church fathers tell this story of John when he was kind of on his deathbed, about to die. And they would bring him into the gathering. He was at the church of Ephesus. And they'd bring him in and they'd ask him, you know, do you have any words to share? And he would say the same thing every single time they gathered. He'd tell the church, little children love each other. Little children love each other over and over and over again. And finally, some of John's disciples asked him, what do you mean when you tell us little children love one another? And John, as the story goes, just tells them, if you get this right, you've got it all. If we understand that God loves us the way a father loves their children, if we understand how deep and how great God's love is for us, That encompasses it all. See, God's overwhelming deep love for us is the reason why God is personal and relational. Because if you love someone, you know, you don't just command them. You don't just order them around. When you love someone, you have a relationship with them. You talk with them. You encourage them. You try to to build each other up. Like, that is what love does. And that is what God does in his love for us. Everything comes down to to love. And see, Jesus, Jesus was, was the, originated this. Jesus was the, the fullest explanation and revelation of God's love for us. In fact, if you were here with us in the last series, Andy Stanley took us through this passage in Matthew when Jesus gets you know, questioned about what really matters about faith. See, Jesus, he, he kind of made a lot of enemies because he was poking at all the established structures of Judaism, and he was trying to reveal that there is something more, there's something bigger, there's something deeper, and he would eventually reveal this path to God that's open to everyone. But Jesus, he had, you know, he had people that asked questions, these religious leaders that would try to question and trap him because really they just wanted to shut him up because they didn't like what Jesus was saying about love. And so these groups would kind of take turns taking runs at Jesus. And in Matthew 22, Matthew records one of these examples when they, Jesus stumped one group, and so the other group kind of like reforms, and they have a huddle, and they say, this is the question. This is the question we can trap him with. See, if he answers this question, we can, no matter what he answers, we can find something wrong, and, you know, we could kill him over this. And so they have their huddle. They come up with a question. They come to Jesus, and they ask him this question. They say, Jesus, out of all the commands of the Old Testament, the 600 and some, 30 some odd commandments, which one is most important? And, you know, they think they're like asking a parent, like, who's your favorite child? You know, you can't answer that question. Well, certainly not if two of your kids are in earshot, right? You know, they're trying to trap Jesus and say, what is the most important commandment? What does this matter? And Jesus replies, and he says this, he says, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. You know, he he quotes the first of the Ten Commandments. You know, good start, good start. And they're kind of like, oh, shoot, he picked that one. 
I don't know if we can trap him with that one. That one's kind of big. But then Jesus goes and says, but a second is equally important. He says, love your neighbor as yourself. Now the Pharisees in this moment would have been kind of like, I don't know, he may have got us, he may have wrangled out of our trap. But then Jesus says this. He says, the entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. This is the statement that makes them angry. Because what Jesus just said, when he tells them this, is your 600 and some commandments, all your framework, all your rules, all your boundaries, that you say, if we live within this, we are God's people, and all you that don't, you're out on the outside. When Jesus says this, he blows all that up. And he says, you don't have to follow that. All you need to do is love God and love your neighbor. That's what it comes down to. Everything that God is, everything that God calls us to be, comes down to love. But we often look at this passage in the church, and maybe if you've been around a church for a while, you know, we right away go to, okay, so how do we love others? How do we, you know, how do we live this out? But I just, just hold that thought for a second. Because there's, a, there's a, something else this reveals that we've got to hold to first. What does it reveal about God Everything that Jesus sums up comes to two commandments about love. What does that say about who God is? When he puts on flesh, he comes into our world, and when he asks what matters most, he says, love God, love others. What does that reveal? God's character, his nature, everything he fundamentally is, is to love us the way that a father loves a child. See, we... Oftentimes, when we're growing up, you know, maybe you can remember, think back to a teen when you were a teen and you just thought, man, you know, when I hit 18, that's freedom. Like, when I reach whatever they, or maybe it was like when I hit 16, I get my license. Like, that is freedom. That is the dream. That is the goal. Or maybe you're like me, I didn't get my license until I was like the day before my 18th birthday. It's like, okay, I, I got my license. I'm 18. I've got freedom. And we long to grow up. And we long for that. And now, now that I'm at a different stage in my life, I start to see things differently, and I think, man, you know, that freedom came with a lot of responsibility. You know, like, I gotta, like, pay taxes. And I gotta, like, have a job. I gotta provide for my family. Like, there's all these things. Like, being an adult really isn't fun, is it? Don't you ever think sometimes, man, it'd be good to be, go back to just being a kid? You know, everything was taken care of for us. You know, uh, I was someone, I, I, I don't remember who told me this, but it was shortly after I became a parent before we had Olivia for the first time, and someone said to me, and I, I kind of wish they had never said this because it changed things, said, someday you will pick up your child and you will put down your child and you will never pick up your child again. Think about that for a second. All of you who are parents who have grown kids, you maybe remember that moment. When did you pick up your child, hold them, put them down, and you never pick them up again. How many of us would long to be held in the loving embrace of a parent again? How many of us would long to feel that love? This is what Jesus is offering. This is what God is offering to us because his character, his nature, everything he is spills over into love for us. See, God loved us before we could ever love him in return. And Jesus came into the world 
because of love. I want to take us back to that verse from John because I only read you the first half. First John 3, verse 1, he starts, it says, See how much the Father loves us, for he calls us his children, and that's what we are. And then the second half of the verse says this, But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. See, this is one of the tragedies of our world, is that most of the people that we encounter on a daily basis do not know how deeply they are loved by God. See, we yearn for love. We long for it. We long to be cared for in a community, in our family. And some of us, that if we come from a broken family, that's just heightened. Because sometimes we see in other people or we see other families and we see, man, that's what a loving family looks like. Why didn't I have that growing up? And some of us, we long and we yearn for that. But part of what we're missing is that we don't recognize how much we are loved by God. We think about the song we were taught in Sunday school if you grew up in the church, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But wouldn't we rather know God's love as a deep and caring embrace? Wouldn't we rather know the depth of how God loves us? It would be overwhelming, wouldn't it? See, God's love, it provides the two things that every one of us, whether we know God or not, whether we grew up in this side of the world or another part of the world, this is basic for all humans. All of us have two fundamental yearnings and longings that we look for. God's love provides these two things, the first of which is security. All of us long to be secure. We long to know that we're safe, that we're cared for, that we're protected. We long for these things. And in fact, even in our world, you know, we're used to conditional love. And we're used to contractual things. We're used to it always being a give and a take. And that's why if you were here with us in the last series that Andy led us through that, that fundamentally changed that, is he was challenging us to change our perspective in a marriage to say that your spouse doesn't owe you anything, but you owe your spouse everything. And when we take that perspective, when we take that heartbeat of saying that in a marriage, in a relationship, my purpose is to serve you, but I don't demand anything in return. And when two people do that together, that is security, that is love. And with God, his love is unconditional. Scripture tells us time and time again, there is nothing that can ever separate us from God's love. Nothing we do. We can never reach the point where we say, I've crossed the line and God could never love me again. What I've done is so bad. What I've done is so horrible. That point does not exist. In fact, you know, and it's, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, who have who, who you, you know, I'm, don't put up your hand for this. How many of you have maybe thought or said, you know, I couldn't step into church, you know, lightning would strike me? Why? Why would God ever do that? This is exactly where God wants you to be because he wants to show you how much he loves you. That's a completely misguided uh, and misunderstood perspective of God. If we think God's going to punish me for walking into a church, no, that's ridiculous. Because God's love provides the security that we all long for. And the second thing that his love provides is identity. God says who we are. God tells us who he made us to be. And one of the the deepest, most cool pieces of God's love for us is that he has given every one of us a purpose. You know, we don't live our lives just to get old and die. 
We can live our lives with a purpose and a meaning, and God has given every single person significance because of their relationship with him. Now, don't confuse significance with fame and notoriety. But significance is measured in impact. It's measured in how we love one another. It's measured in how we serve one another. It's measured in how we care for one another. Because all those are how we live out God's love for us. But we can only live out God's love for others when we recognize how God loves us. Love inspires love. When we are loved, we're able to love others. Because it's a, you know, some of us may be better at this than others say, you know, could you really show love to every single person you meet? You know, the person that cut in line, cut in front of you in line at the checkout. You know, can you love that person? The person that cut you off on the highway. You know, the coworker that, that gossiped about you and badmouthed behind your back and then you're dealing with this problem. You know, can you actually love that person? If we're speaking from a human perspective, let's be honest, no. We struggle with that. We may attempt to. But when we recognize how deeply we are loved by God and we let God's love be revealed through us, that is how we can love people in a deeper way that that we can't do on our own human ability. See, this is the first greater thing of this series that God is calling us to. And this isn't just to us, to Grand Valley or people that call this your church home. This is to humanity. God calls us to a greater love. God calls us to be markably different because of our love for one another. Because when we recognize that we are his children, the way that he longs to embrace us and hold us and care for us, that is what gives us the basis to change the world. That's what gives us the basis to reveal God's love beyond our own little circle, beyond our interactions with the people that are close to us. See, when Jesus had his last evening with his disciples. John's gospel is is fascinating because he wrote it later than the other three gospels that we have. And so he kind of took the liberty of saying, you know, I don't have to repeat everything they, the other three wrote. So I'm going to focus on some different things that, that they missed because there's just too much that Jesus did for us to contain in the gospels. And so John's narrative of Jesus' life moves pretty quickly. In fact, the first 11 or so chapters covers three years of Jesus' life. And then John devotes about four chapters to one evening, to just one night that Jesus had with his disciples before Jesus knew what was going to happen next. He knew he was going to be arrested and he was going to be put on a mock trial and he'd be crucified for all the wrong reasons, but God had a plan in all of it. And so this is Jesus' last time to spend with his disciples, his last time to teach them and instruct them before they're going to scatter and they're going to flee and they're going to deny they ever knew him because they don't know what's going on. Because everything they had known for the last three years has just been thrown in turmoil by Jesus' arrest. And so when Jesus has this time with his disciples, he's trying to say this is the most important things and he tells his disciples this. He says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Now, let's just pause there for a second. These disciples, they were all good, faithful Jewish boys. They all knew their commandments. They all knew their scripture. And they knew you do not make a new commandment. You talk about how you interpret the commandments of the law. You talk about how you apply them. You talk about how you live them out. You don't make a new commandment. That, that's forbidden. No, only God can make new commandments. 
Because some of them still in that room have not fully clued in that Jesus is God. So Jesus says this, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. And then he goes on, he says, your love for another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is the heart. This is the beginning. This is the the formation of the church as a body of people, not an organization, not just something we do on Sunday, but a group of people who are fundamentally shaped and transformed by Jesus' love, living out that love and revealing it to the world. That's what Jesus called his disciples to. And that's what John devoted his entire life to, was helping people realize this love. That's what all the disciples devoted their lives to, was sharing the message of God's love. And so for us, I've got two questions I want to ask you that I want you to reflect and think about and meditate on. And I hope these are, these are the good kind of questions that I hope you lose sleep over. But do you need a fresh understanding of how much God loves you? Do we know God's love intellectually? Do we know it like it's a, yeah, yeah, we know God loves us, but do you know it? Do you know it to the core of your being? Has it shaped your heart? Has it shaped your identity that we are loved? Because the secret is we are better when we are loved. When we have that security in God's love for us, that is the heart of when we are better. We all know we're better people. We treat others better. We're kinder. We're more gentle. We're more passionate. We're more caring when we're loved. So do you need a fresh understanding of how much God loves you? And the second question follows right through it. How will you live out a greater love to the people you encounter? As our hearts are transformed by God's love for us, how does that shape the way we interact with one another? See, This is the identifying factor. This is what separates following Jesus and putting your trust in Jesus from anything else in the world, from anything else that that ever has been or ever will be. It's love. God loves you so deeply, more than you will ever know. And that can shape us and that can transform us. So I want to invite you to something. I want to invite you into a journey over these next couple weeks, where we lean into these greater things, where we lean into what does it mean to be people who experience a greater love of God in our lives? What does it mean that we dig into a greater understanding of who God has called us to be? Because that is what shapes us. That's what transforms us. And so next week, we're going to continue this with the next greater thing. But as you're on your way out, I want to invite you to pick something up. This series that we're doing right now, I I mentioned it last week, this is kind of like a vision series. This is about us saying, what is coming up next? And so in the lobby, uh, we've got a bunch of copies of these. This is our, you know, we call it an annual report because, well, it is an annual report, but it's so much more than that. I want to invite you to grab one of these and pick it up and read through it. And this tells some of the things that what's been going on in our church over this past year. It talks about what's coming up. But I want to invite you to something specific on this, is when you pick it up, you know, flip through it, read through it. You know, there's, there's pictures. It's not all text. You know, it won't take you long. It's just, it's little short pages. But at the very end, the last two pages, I have five things that I want to ask you to pray about. And not all of you will want to do this, and that's okay. But I want to encourage you to try. 
to take this and spend some time and sit down and pray through these five things. Because the first one simply says this, what do you hope God will do in your life this year? And what my hope is, is that no matter how much we think we know God's love for us, I hope that each one of us would be brave enough to write down and say, God, I actually want to know how much you love me. I want to know that. Because when we know that, when we discover that, it changes us. It draws us deeper into a relationship with him. So I want to pray for us, and we're going to wrap up, and you can grab one of these on your way out uh, and read through it. Uh, And I want to invite you to come back next week as we dig into the next greater thing. Let us pray. Let me pray for you as we bring this to a close. God, your love for us is overwhelming. And we, at times, we only know a small trickle of it. We only know a small amount. But Lord, I just pray for our community, for the, the people who are here, the people... God, I just pray you would pour out your love in a new way. I pray you'd pour out your love in ways that we are shaped and transformed by it. And God, I know that this feels scary to some. That you're like, yo, whoa, what is this thing about love? Like, why does this matter? God, would you just reveal it us into the ways that we can understand? Would you take us on a journey into this? Would you take us deeper into understanding this father-to-child relationship that you have with each one of us, the security you wish to provide, the identity you, you have for us? Lord, would we lean into those things as a community that yearns for more of you? Lord, would you just bless us in that way? Would you bless us with your love? In your name we pray. Amen. Folks, thank you for being here. And again, I want to invite you to pick up an annual report. I want to invite you to be back here next week. And would you lean into this? What does it mean that God loves you so deeply? Have a great week, folks. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.